positive feedback loop. Okay, we're recording. All right, welcome to Positive Feedback Loop, the podcast where we talk about incredibly interesting things with you, our dear Piffles, the VIPs of the listening world. I am Stephanie, and I'm here with my co-hosts, Ray and Luis. Welcome back, everybody. Hello, how are you guys doing? Today we're talking about a topic that affects us all. And that is the topic of spam. Now, spam, we all kind of know what it is by the spirit of it, the experience of it. Like, ooh, that's spammy. And we thought we'd dig into the motivations behind spam, how much spam is really out there, what is the history of spam, how, did, how does this thing even exist? Well, a few stats to start us off. According to Talos Intelligence, in March 2018, an average daily amount of spam emails that was sent was 413 billion. We're talking a lot of emails. And what's really interesting to me is that that is 85% of emails sent. So in that month, only 72 billion were legitimate. Uh, What's also interesting is the comparison to almost a decade ago. uh, In 2009, uh, I was reading a Time Magazine article by Dan Fletcher, who talks about how there were 210 billion, so that's about half as much uh, spam email sent, which equated to 78% of email sent. So the percentage of spam email has gone up in the last 10 years. And why are we receiving all the spam these spam emails and spam goes beyond just email we think of social media messages and other content as spammy content so how would you guys describe spam what is spam really well i think that something important for us to uh, also point out is that spam's not only things that are annoying they also can be dangerous about mm-hmm. uh, i'm looking at a report from 2017 from Cisco that says that in 2016, 8 to 10% of all global spam could be categorized as malicious, which means that it could infect your computer with something if you click in the wrong place. Now, take into account that most of the web's web's emails are spam, and say 10% of those are malicious. That's a whole lot of adware. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it's like you were saying, Stephanie, it's just not email either. I think of spam when I get a phone call from a robot telling me that I won a vacation and a cruise and I need to reduce my car insurance payments every month, even though I don't own a car. So I don't know why I get these calls in the first place. Um, but I agree with you too, Luis. The danger of spam is real. You click on the wrong link, basically you're giving up all your privacy potentially, uh, and you are at risk of, you know, losing your trusted data, and your your network can be compromised, and it's it's very dangerous. So, it's interesting to think about, you know, what you were saying, Stephanie. Is the percentage has gone up, but not that much. Um, you know, from seventy nine to eighty five percent. It sounds like, you know, I wonder if there's some sort of natural 
law of spam in nature. <laughs> Will it reach 100%? Will we just be receiving all spam? I mean, that's... <sighs> I, but then you have to think of, okay, think of spam in the direct mail world, in paper mail coming to your inbox. People still send letters to each other. We won't count packages because packages have been impacted in different ways by e-commerce and such. But let's just talk about snail mail, a letter, handwritten letter from a friend versus all of the, we will buy your home with cash, <laughs> you know, <laughs> junk mail that you get, postcards and, and lots of trees getting cut down. And the it's tricks a big waste. they play. Yeah. Actually, this reminds me when, uh, when my family first arrived here in the U.S., uh, one of the things that was kind of shocking to us is because we didn't have a concept of spam because we just didn't have that in Cuba. I mean, we didn't receive emails from... We First of all, we didn't have email. And second of all, we didn't have telemarketers sending us, I mean, robocalls or people sending us spam mail because there's... it's. It, I mean, the government's not going to be advertising to you that way. So there's no reason for it. So we are completely new to this whole concept, even though it was 2000. And my parents got taken in by one of the email scams trying to sell them a really terrible camera at what they thought was a steal. And it wasn't. And it was a one of the garbagiest things they've ever picked up. But it taught them a lesson uh, pretty quick. So at least they've been, we've all been a little more cautious ever since then. There's someone out there that could be tricked by that. Like most reasonable people would think, Okay, this camera is not worth it. Why are they even sending this? Are they? Why is this spammer wasting their time essentially when it's seemingly so obvious that this is spam? Well, it's not a big right? waste of time for them, right? If yeah. you think about it, it's not a big waste of time because you're, yeah, you're sending out these emails in bulk to everybody, millions, that yeah. anyone. So, so even if the, you the, get the, a small percentage, you get right. you make money. Yeah. The right? barrier. Yeah, to you only need is... one person to rescue the Nigerian prince. You don't need. A thousand people oh, doing it. Yeah, the barrier to entry for spam is almost negligible, especially now that you have gigantic botnets that can just continually send out stuff. I was just thinking about how many times we've put our email into mailing lists or subscriptions or like sign up here for whatever. Our emails are just like disposable almost at this point. And you, every like few years, you have to like kind of get a new one. I mean, my Hotmail account, I'm thinking about when I first made an email account, it was on Hotmail. And that thing, I get like probably hundreds of spam emails per day at least. But, you know, I don't check it. I don't know what's going on with that account very much. And now my Gmail is starting to become that way. So I'm like thinking about moving out, out of Gmail and getting another account or, or something. I'm just, you know, not sure what to do. You bring up a conundrum that not marketers have necessarily, but people who are dealing with how to design an email inbox that can actually tell the difference. I'm thinking of the statistician Paul Graham, and I found out about him because of a book called Niche Envy, which is marketing discrimination in the digital age. And I picked up this book from MIT Press when they were having like a book sale. They always... I don't know if they still do this, but they used to put out tons of books on the sidewalk and you'd pick up books, which was not spam. It was the opposite of spam. It's really useful. Anyway, Paul Graham, he says, uh, he's quoted in this book, 
but he talks about how people have started creating sophisticated filtering programs so that you could, so that your basically spam would end up in a junk folder on your email. And this book was written back in 2006, so this is more than a decade of of thinking about how to filter emails, basically. And uh, he talks about uh, the experience of filtering, and he says you're trying to beat Bayesian filters. So it says it would not be enough for spammers to make their emails unique or stop using individual naughty words. They'd have to make their mails indistinguishable from your ordinary mail. And this, I think, would severely constrain them. Spam is mostly sales pitches. So unless your regular mail is also sales pitches, spams will inevitably have a different character. And the spammers would also, of course, have to change and keep changing their whole infrastructure because otherwise the headers lo- would look as bad as to the Bayesian filters as ever, uh, no matter what they did to the message body. Even a decade later, I mean, I remember when Gmail set up its tabs, Gmail could tell through its algorithmic filtering process what was a pro- promotional email or not. And it has even filtered posts that go to kind of a, a lot of people or you know, the forum posts, the, the, the mass emails, even when they're not sent by a software of sorts, it can still tell this is a some, somehow a mass email by the number of people or if there's a list involved. I think that's really interesting that, you know, we, we have so many mass emails. And in 2009, you know, there was the, the half number, you know, the 200 billion daily instead of 400 billion. What's interesting was, 93 got past the filter. So even though that much spam is sent, you know, today, 400 daily, 400 billion messages daily are sent, it doesn't mean all of them are being received because these filters have been set up. You know, what does that mean to marketers who have legitimate messages or their opt-in messages or it's something uh, someone does want to get the daily deals versus the spam bots that are getting coded as the same thing? Well, that's the thing. Like, uh, you want to make sure that if you are trying to create an email campaign, you're doing it in a way that it could, that is very clear that you're trying to sell a product and you're not trying to scam anyone, so that you don't get caught up in these in these filters. I mean, there are ways to you know whitelist yourself, etc. But it it's it's such a part of everyone's daily life now that we just have grown accustomed to regularly having email accounts with two thousand plus emails that are just spam. And then it's too much of a bother to clear them. So people regularly go around with, you know, quadruple digit or quintuple digit email boxes completely filled with just garbage. Right. So I had a thought, actually. What if hypothetically we had a system where you had to pay for each email that you sent? However, if the receiver decides it's a trusted source, they can waive the fee and you won't get charged so any spam email would still be charged but any friendly email uh would get refunded and it's in their own way and how that system or architecture works out i'm not really sure but the point is you can disincentivize these spammers by actually it'll cost them money to send so but then you'd have to approve each and every single email you receive and if you do actually want to get those promotional emails you'd have to do it would you have to do it every time or would it be so you can 
I wonder can, if it could just be the open rate. You can wave the email. Right? You wouldn't have to you can, click anything as a user. Maybe they get charged if their email's not opened by the user. Yeah, I also wouldn't want to I also wouldn't want to give out my like credit card information before I can send an email. Well, so credit card I, I'm not I'm not really sure what the exact well, bill would be no or how it would look. E- email maybe there's no way to send free email. Like Gmail right now they give free email because it's they you will use their other products and you will pay for their you know, space that you use and, you know, so they have their, their reasons, but let's say hypothetically, I mean, we're, we're in dream world now, just like thinking of, you know, hypothetical situations, but my favorite place. Yeah. (laughs) Dream world. (laughs) But let's say you had to pay for email service and at to, to own an email and yeah, to send emails, it, it costs money just like it, it did back in the day to send a text. Remember when sending an SMS was five cents and you had a character count. So if you had to send a long one, it was 10 cents because it broke out into two texts. Like, you know, what if the world of email was like SMS was back in the day when SMS cost money? That would be interesting. Well, for me, it's... like, what if you send your friend an email and he doesn't waive the fee? Just because <laughs> you mean the email still goes through. You're just paying for it. Yeah, I think already it's sent okay. the email. It's yeah. right. No, I think what you could do is you can have whitelisted email. So if it's a trusted address that they're sending from, mm-hmm. it won't um, have a charge. Like it for waves example. But if it's all a, the rest of the emails you get from. If them. it's a new yeah. email address, it might have the initial. Let's say you're mailing a mm-hmm. customer support email from a, some company, right? Obviously, they don't know your email. Or they may. If you have an account with them, they'll waive it. But if you're getting some spammers are trying to infiltrate their network and sending all these like phishing emails to them, well, if they don't have an account, one, or if they're not on their whitelist, they would be charged for it. So it'll, you know, hypothetically or theoretically, you'll have less spam emails because the cost of doing business as a spammer will just be inhibited by all these extra costs. Yeah, but again, you know, the whole point of modern email infrastructure is that it's I we understand. have gigantic networks of effects, yeah. right? Everyone has free emails, so everyone can email each other without any particular issues. Right. If you jump on the one email type that you have to pay for, people are just going to say, no, I'm not going to send it to you there. I'll send it to you over here. Yeah, they'll find a... a I mean, it's kind of yeah. like why people go to WhatsApp instead of now in their normal messages, because they feel like there's more privacy in WhatsApp than they would have in, uh, you know, Apple's messaging, iMessage, for example. The, you have the network effects and the externalities are affecting that, so. And even then, well, you know, people pay for phone calls and you still get robocalls. That's still a thing. Well, and the labor it, that in, that's involved, I mean, it really does cost to send spam messages because you can't, you have to have the software and the infrastructure to send a billion emails or, you know, thousands. A lot of the time, you also have botnets, you've or you've taken over a bunch of other computers, and there there are ways to right. do it but for it very low cost. But it costs money and time. Still, somebody's got to figure yeah. that There's out. And you got to still do and... it. Yeah. Speaking about uh, robocalls, I they they have become increasingly a problem, and uh, they are illegal. By the way, they're illegal. The US, they are illegal, I didn't actually yeah. know it was illegal. Uh, they are not, regardless of whether they are on the do, national do not call list. Or rather, whether the uh, person you're, that's being receiving the call is on the national do not call list, the robocalls, most robocalls are illegal. There are some that I think you can 
uh, except like I think probably like political ones or whatever. But something that I've that I've noticed uh, has become more of an issue, uh, at least in the last year, is that robocalls will be set up to obtain information from the person that that's calling that they're calling. So, for example, you'll get a phone call, and it'll ask you, uh, "Hey, uh, can you hear me?" And you'll say, "Yes," and they'll record you saying yes, so they can use that later to try to break into your credit card using your voice. Wow. I'm I'm making an example here. It's not exactly like that, but that's the yeah. idea. Because for now, I mean, you do have to give up information to actually do anything with your credit card. You can't just say yes to somebody on the phone, obviously. But if yes, if there were recording. voice recognition or something in the future, you might yeah. be dealing with some I remember, problems. I remember when I first got one of those, uh, hey, uh, can you hear me? Calls where it acts like some like it's a human and they were they fumbled something and yeah. you're much more likely to actually like take them seriously because humans make mistakes and robots don't it sounds like we're we're meshing maybe not meshing them together but there's this really fine line and maybe there's not a line between spam and scams so spam with a p and scams with a c and what is the difference? Is it that spam is just kind of, it's innocent, but it's, it's unwanted and it's just frivolous, like, why are you sending me this? And, and is a scam really trying to do something malicious to you, like send you a virus through email or take your money for something that's not right? Is that the only difference between scams and spam email? And well, you, you, you can get scammed without any spam. So getting scammed doesn't necessarily mean you were sent spam files or, or um, emails or anything like that. Getting, I guess, you know, the word scam is broader. You can get scammed in many ways. You can, but does all spam tr- fall under the, the umbrella of scams? I no, it's just a tool. So. No, it spam is just a means to an end. You can use spam for completely legitimate means, although annoying means, but you can also use spam for scams. Very right, easily like because, again, it's one of those things where you only need one person to fall for it, and then you can extract a whole bunch of value out of them. What's really interesting is the Can Spam Act of 2003, where uh, you know the United States legal system enforces this act through the FTC. Uh, but they, the Can Spam acronym stands for Controlling the Assault of Non-Solicited Pornography and Marketing. So it's basically in the spirit of it, try, trying to curb uh, marketing that's not solicited. Now, what's really interesting is there's some rules they have. For example, you have to have an accurate from line. You can't pretend you're sending email from another person that you, that you are not. Uh, you have to have a relevant subject line. You can't trick the person into opening your email. You have to have a physical address on your email so somebody can and, – and, and you have to allow somebody to unsubscribe from the email. So there are these provisions that the Act has – but is that really the definition of spam? Because I feel like there are a lot of emails that perhaps follow those rules that people would still consider spam. So I guess it's a fine line between just advertising from a legitimate company or organization um, and something that's being sent from a botnet system just to collect your information and, you know not really provide any value to you. 
Um, and I think that's dependent on the receiver of the email or the message. So spam is defined by the user. It's not defined by the sender because, you know, no one says I'm going to start a spam farm. Well, some <laughs> you know, do, I guess. An, I'm pretty sure <laughs> they, they do, it's, yeah. It's effective enough. I think it's more <laughs> of an advertising farm for them. You know, it's a marketing business for them. Yeah. The more hits that they get, you know, it's if, they can, if they're initially starting off, well, this is all going to be spam. Well, you know. They suck, right? So that's a different uh, problem. But I think there's also just spam in our view, something that is spam, but in the sender's view is actually they're just trying to do business and inform people about things that they think is important. Let's stop there and go to a commercial. And when we come back, let's talk more about the impacts of spam and and go beyond to you know the implications of spam in social media and other forms of communication that uh, we have a lot of listeners who care about spam that that takes many forms and so let's dig into that so we'll see you after the commercial we here at PFL Inc are aware that the most dangerous forms of spam are those we haven't encountered yet and this is why we, in collaboration with our partners at Can't Spam, Won't Spam, are pleased to announce our future spam protection program. Is the future of spam drones in the sky? We'll shoot them down. Will it perhaps find you in your sleep? We'll wake you up. Or will it bombard you in VR? Well, we will send in one of our patented spam engineers into the virtual realm with you. This is one of our spam engineers. Say hi, Jeff. Hi. So. Get your wallets out, because the future of spam is in the can. Welcome back to Positive Feedback Loop. We have been talking about spam and its effects and its causes and its annoyances. In this part, we are, we want to talk about the future of spam, how spammy messages come through in new media contexts like Facebook and Instagram and social media and beyond, really goes back to the history of spam. In fact, before it was called spam, the first messages that were unsolicited came over telegraph lines, uh, and it was investment offers that were offered to wealthy Americans and modern spam even. Uh, This is from a Time Magazine article. was sent on ARPANET, which was a military computer network that preceded the Internet. So spam is something that's been around for a while. The term spam was first used in a news group network called Usenet, which in the 1980s was like an internet-based bulletin board system. And someone had sent an accidental message to 200 users. Someone had referred to it as spam, and that how, that's how it came about. So we're, this is kind of the history of spam and understanding its beginnings helps inform how spam is experienced today. Yeah, one of the play ways it's changed a lot is actually social media. Whether it's in comment sections or on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, you can actually see a lot of the changes to the way spam is shared. Like if you think about the way that you have bots on a lot of comment sections that will just post advertisings to this great money-making scheme that my sister came up with has given made her a millionaire you should have it too 
And there's many more forms of it that have come around, whether it even the form of hate speech. There's a lot of spam on social media platforms, even the newer platforms. I mean, I guess Instagram is not even new anymore, but newer than email, I suppose. But even on Instagram, you can actually report content as spam or scam. It actually asks you, and sometimes they ask for both in the same question because some users may not be able to determine the difference or it might be both. I know that I get tagged in Russian scams, which is an image that has all this Russian wording on, you can get something for free if you do X, Y, and Z. And I always have to report it as spam to get it off of it tagging me. Uh, and it's. Did you get caught up in the uh, the Russian bot uh, purge in Twitter? Oh well, I mean that is something of its own. That's when you know people when they buy fake followers, it's almost like a reverse spam. It's like asking <laughs> for fake people to like and comment on your posts, right? I mean, in essence, you want spam because somehow it is an indicator of your reputation to others. But you're right, like you mentioned, Luis. There was you know, these social networks purge bot users and whatever you buy is going to disappear eventually. So, uh, but I do think it's fascinating that reputation now, that spamming and bot behavior actually plays into reputation for some people, that they unethically buy that in order to increase the numbers. It's like, you know, if, if email were public, if I had more people sp- spamming me, then I it would look like I have more emails and therefore I'm more popular. And that's kind of what's happening on social media. How strange. It's not just uh, popularity though. It's also reputation. And you mentioned this briefly, although in the context of social media, but it's also, for example, readings, right? A lot of places pay for it to have bots, give them positive ratings or to give their enemies negative ratings or the competition, not enemies. Uh, And people make fake accounts for themselves to improve their standing in different forums it's it's fairly common and there's different names for such techniques and we're trying to catch it but it's so hard to find out exactly which which are fake when you're looking at reading especially if someone doesn't write like a lengthy essay right so is the world of spam being encouraged now by consumers behaviors because they seek that reputation in the sense that people are paying for bots and and paying these spammers now as if they actually have a mission to accomplish for the consumers rather than, you know, spammers may have sent scams or trying to make money in some way. But now it seems that somehow well-meaning businesses and bloggers, influencers want that reputation or that following. And so are they encouraging spammy behavior are they encouraging the rise of bot farms and the likes who is encouraging it what's your question sorry repeat that so you're saying well are our bloggers and influencers yeah i mean consumers i guess i shouldn't call them consumers because they're on the other end but but not just businesses but also individuals who seek to be influential in some way is this encouraging, you know, establishments that create spam. Honestly, I think it's kind of a transient phase of our technological advancement. I agree that right now we have these influencers or people or organizations who are paying their, you know, they're paying for fake 
people to like their stuff, basically. Um, but I don't think our future technological infrastructure will allow for that. I think we'll find a way to have more integrity in our internet, in our social networks. Uh, I think that we're trying to now. I mean, Twitter is a good example. You mentioned, Luis. Like they basically were able to determine which of their accounts were spam bots and just fake accounts, and they just purged them. They got rid of them all. That's a start, right? It's something. Um, I'm but sure that's an that after that's the gonna... fact effort, right? Right. At right, that right, point, the damage that. was done. Even yeah, if you but take it back later. Yeah, but I don't think you could say the damage was done because if they didn't, what do you mean? Does that mean that there could be no future damage to be done? I think there's still a lot of potential damage, and I'm sure there's tons of bots on Twitter now that are and different accounts on Facebook that are fake. Um, and I mean, if you think about it, Facebook and Twitter. The more users they have, real or not, real or fake, they still benefit in a way. They they want as many users as possible. So the question is going to be how uh, how will these companies and organizations, you know, keep their integrity as connecting people and not connecting <laughs> machines? Yeah, the entire yeah, having an entire social network of only machines <laughs> yeah. sounds following dystopic. each other. <laughs> yeah. I'm curious as to why you think it'll go away on its own, though. I mean, I feel it's hard to stop bots without having some form of human authentication system, right? You know, the please select however many stop signs there are on this picture type deal, right? To try to establish that someone's human. And as machines become more and more intelligent and it becomes easier and cheaper to create relatively intelligent machines that can do their very basic task well enough, it always becomes harder and harder and harder to catch those bots. Although you would hope that the screening process would improve too, right? I mean, yeah. Yeah. But how do you stop a a relatively simple program that tries to mimic what a human who is fairly inactive on a social network would look like? Because, Let's say I have a Twitter account, but I only post, I don't know, everyone's in a blue moon. Should my Twitter account be blocked because I don't post enough or because I don't post lengthy enough things? How much inconvenience are we willing to put the user through in the name of keeping bots out? And then if you do that, won't users go to another social media system where there is less, there are fewer inconveniences for themselves? So are the network effects in place strong enough to keep users in while putting up barriers to keep bots out? Or mm. is the way to address this issue a complete reworking of infrastructure? A complete changing of the way that the internet works? I, that's that, that would be a gigantic undertaking, and I don't think we're there at a point where there is enough demand for it because of an, in, a perceived outrage at the existence of bots. So what is the solution you're proposing, Ray? Well, a few things here you're, you mentioned. Uh, one thing I want to address is you're right. The better technology gets, the easier it is for bots to do their magic, do their work, and get into different people's inboxes and have better messaging to trick people into clicking. That's true. But there's also the other side. Using AI, you can identify bots a little bit better. So there's going to always be this constant struggle between the battle Arms between race. both sides. Yeah, and I'm not sure how it's going to go. Uh, my thought is more along the lines of changing the infrastructure of the internet and i don't want to get in too much into a uh, conversation about you know distributed networks and 
and the blockchain technology. But that's kind of where I would think about w- one way or one possible solution is to use this types of infrastructure to <laughs> to uh, deter bots and artificially intelligent spam machines to exist because you'd you'd have some sort of way to charge them or you can disincentivize them through um no financially economically so it just wouldn't work for them so i have a question about um, you know i i do agree ray that the the internet could change in fundamental ways and and we will see it change and i mean spam and bots themselves are an effect that will cause change. I'm concerned about almost the sociological changes that are happening. Uh, And this stems from an experience I had on Facebook just this week. Uh, I noticed, I started a discussion about how people respond to their own Facebook friends uh, posting about their businesses, posting about their the things they're working on, and kind of trying to solicit support uh, from their Facebook friends, which is a, a small subset of people. I mean, even if you have 1,500 Facebook friends, it's still a, it's a small group of people at, compared to <laughs> compared to the <laughs> billions, billions right. right on the internet. But it what surprised me is as I asked about you know, how people felt about their friends posting about things they were working on and and kind of soliciting help and support and, you know, at least share this or in some way, you don't need to buy it, but but I need support from you, a like, a comment, an idea, um, you know, a share. Many people who commented actually described their own Facebook friends. I won't say their own friends, because I know that Facebook friends can include acquaintances or you know, people that may not be as close to you, but they described their own Facebook friends as spammy, as posting spam messages. So now we're not dealing with just bots or even big corporations that are spending to send these robocalls out or these messages out in in mass, but we're talking about people that are actually connected to each other and the treatment of each other as spammers when these are people that that you know personally or or have you know at least met in person once or something so you know and facebook is for most people different than it is on twitter you know on twitter you do connect with a lot of strangers and you might see a lot of solicitations so are people being too harsh with each other or are, are people really being just are there really that many people being way too spammy? I mean, I can't believe that someone who's kind of trying to just solicit help from their friends should be considered spam. It seems very harsh to me. I think it depends. I think that there are people who are a little spammy on social media, and that's largely a factor of the fact that a lot of applications that use social media require you to send out a mass mailing to all your friends to uh, give you a bonus on your farms or whatever the game you're playing or, you know, I've, I still get messages from family members and friends inviting me to play this game or that game because they just clicked send all. And that's right. definitely spammy. But on the other hand, you know, if someone, a friend of yours asking for help to 
reach a personal life goal or do something. That's I wouldn't consider that spammy. That's just asking for help. A bigger issue is the fact that the amount of videos and stuff on uh, my feed on Facebook that I have zero interest in watching is kind of most of it. A lot of these people mentioned the salesy posts, like, oh, I, I just launched a new store or I've started a new business. I'm so excited to hear my products. And they, they say that is spam. But then they send out many inane memes and funny videos that are completely mindless. And I would call that spam. I would call all of these you know viral videos and crap. That to me is spam. And people talking about their businesses and, and I want to sell this product and I, I you know, I need support for an Indiegogo campaign. I see that as, as like real life goals. Like somebody's actually doing something instead of sitting in there on the internet passing, you know, hilarious videos around. So I agree with you, Stephanie, actually. But I was also thinking about our podcast for a minute. And I was thinking about how we, uh, you know, we've worked on different platforms to get our message across and let people discover us. And, you know, we've sent our friends messages on Facebook and I'm, I'm pretty sure I clicked send all or maybe most or something. I don't remember. But, uh, you know, I wonder how many of my friends thought that was spam. You know, I'm sure at least one of or the, like a few of them have. Right. Just statistically speaking, um, based on what you were saying, Stephanie. So it really depends on the receiver. It's a perception thing, I think, at the end of the day. And I agree with you. The stuff on the internet that gets passed around, like watching a video of a dog jump into a pool and then get out or something, like it's like stuff that's easy to digest. I think people just want to digest really easy things on the internet. And anything that causes them to think a little bit or invest in themselves emotionally, you know, if they have to invest emotionally in something else, if their friend is working on a project and then they have to like write a comment. They you know they're actually thinking about something. They're not. It's not a mindless task of watching a, a cat jump off a cliff or something. So I hope we're not watching cats jump off cliffs. That sounds <laughs> awful. Oh, so they'll be fine. They always land on their feet. Oh dear. Trust me. <laughs> oh god. Well, <laughs> I don't know how. I don't know if you know what a cliff is. So if spam is really in the in the eye of the receiver, so to speak, then it means that spam is more pervasive than we thought. It's not that corporations spend spam or bots send spam or even acquaintances that don't know better are sending spam but it means that we've all spent sent spam because if spam is considered something different to each person if to me it's silly mindless videos and to another person it's it's business related posts that means that everyone in the world is sending spam to each other not knowing that they're doing so does that does, does that, that mean does that, that mean the definition of spam that's does watering that down a, a definition way too much. Yeah, it doesn't mean That's that a I, good yeah, marketer can actually a good marketer can take a message and turn it into a good content, social media content that people will want to look at and uh, you know explore. Even though another person, you know, it, it would have been spam if it wasn't for this good marketer putting the right picture and the right font size and words and maybe that kind of punctuation. Of- I mean, you're you're kind of going toward, you're talking about the quality of the content, and I think you're you're really onto something. And it might be that targeted 
like well-targeted content that that's quality for that's made for a certain network of people is less likely to be spam because it's fit for them. But when you send out a mass message to all these people, just because they're, you've got all their emails or they're all your Facebook friends, they're all different people. They're not really, you know, they're not uh, a subculture of sorts. Then it's more likely there will be people that consider it spam. So maybe the way to not send spam, if if we were to like give advice to our <laughs> followers, <laughs> is to target niche networks and to create the content in a way that they receive it, that they don't consider it spam. So for people like me who love to see entrepreneurship and stuff, it might be my that you will want to send me posts about like, oh, I, I just started this business. What do you think? And I'll be excited. Whereas there are another group of people that are looking for the cat videos and will watch millions of them without tiring. And so is the message that is spam spam because it's sent indiscriminately and not to subcultures of people to uh you know niche hashtags or people that subscribe to certain beliefs or that are connected around a, a common cause spam is spam because it's unsolicited if i go on so if i go on facebook explain there's something on my wall or on my or not on my wall but on my feed i've accepted all the things that are on my feed for the most part because I, those people who are posting those things are friends of mine or advertisers, in which case yeah. that's Facebook and I've agreed to the terms of service. By following so or by being a member, none of that by definition is spam. It is solicited because you are, you are, it huh? is understood you will receive content from them. Exactly. Yeah. Now, I could always just block people that are putting on content I dislike and I find quote-unquote spammy as in I didn't add you as a friend for you to put a whole bunch of stuff that I don't want to read, Right. So to me, that then that would become spam because I that was not solicited. In but the, you just said by friending them, there's this blanket solicitation. Yes, which of is sorts. why I wouldn't use I wouldn't use the word spam for it. It's okay. more like an annoyance than anything. I would use spam for an email for that I for a service I didn't sign up for. I would use spam for people on a forum, uh, or sorry, they're coming in to give information completely unrelated to what's happening in the thread because they want to advertise the hot fire sale in five 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 scam.com. <laughs> In which case, okay, get out of here. You're a spammer because we didn't solicit that, right? That was not what mm -hmm. this threat was about. So that's, I think, where the if we decide that everything we don't like on the internet is spam, then 80 to 99% of things on the internet are spam. Yeah, but I think you're right. It, it's too watered down to just say, because I don't like it, it's spammy. And that's not the definition of spam. Spam is, by definition, something that you did not solicit in some way. So if your friends on Facebook are posting what you consider spam content, it's not spam. You friended them knowing, in fact, wanting their content to be seen. If you didn't want to see their content, you would not have followed them because that is the definition of following someone on social media. So and the good thing about good Facebook, the good thing about Facebook, Facebook feed, you can just not look at it. And you can hide, you can, you know, uh, quiet people. You can hide people. messages from people mm -hmm. you don't like, or you can keep someone as a friend and just have their stuff not appear in your feed. Yeah, there are many things still, you can do. That's still like saying, oh, you can just not answer those phone calls. You know how you can just ignore those emails and uh, paper, 
envelopes that you get in the mail. You can ignore those too. So I, I, yeah, I think that still emails. you're taking attention away. It's it's grabbing your attention for even though it's seconds, it's still stealing time away from your life, and it's a it accumulates. I think so. It's still, you know, I I don't just let it go. I think that it, over time there will be solutions to these kinds of problems. And obviously there's already, you know, there's lots of things that are happening that are improving um, feeds and creating better systems for people to not have to deal with this kind of garbage. But also keep in mind that as the internet has progressed and people have become more comp more accepting of things like Adblock Plus or other systems for blocking spam right. and blocking pop-ups and stopping and getting around these systems, creating filters to only see content catered to them, things that they want to see. And as these systems become better and more advanced, you're also going to see scammers and spammers doing other things to get around them. Just the same way that we've discussed social media being used as a means to create, to get the spam out so that it's not just in the realm of your inbox because people got used to it being in their inbox there's going to be things that are going to come up in the future. So it's always important to be on the internet, be wary. You always need to be wary on the internet because you never know what's behind that click. And as we wrap up this episode, I think that that's a good reminder that uh, how we engage with the internet will change over time. The future of the internet is partially uh, dealing with fake users, with spam, with scams. I think there's an introspective element to this as well. And that involves how we as people create and share content and engage with others. Are we being careful with how genuine and targeted we are in and mindful we are about what we're sharing and how we communicate with others? Uh, maybe we need to make a an inner commitment to not add to the spam that's in the world and to learn how others communicate. Part of it is listening and understanding. So thank you for joining us for another very interesting episode of Positive Feedback Loop. We love hearing your ideas, and that's where a lot of our topics come from, is really engaged, interesting, fun listeners like you. Thank you so much to those of you who have joined the Telegram group. Definitely join us there, where we talk personally uh, as a group about all the ideas that are coming and have past as well with extra links and resources and we're on twitter at the pfl podcast where we share different episode updates and little behind the scenes so we look forward to seeing you there and until next time stay crazy Stay crazy. Stay crazy. <laughs> stay crazy. Stay crazy. Stay crazy. Stay crazy. Stay crazy. 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 To make that sound so you can oh, see. Oh yeah, that, I hope it works. I'm curious. I think I'm just gonna go with. <laughs> <laughs>